it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else comes up from week to week. Thank you for joining me again on a Wednesday that feels like it should be another day. Does anyone else just feel like the day, like the days used to have feelings, but now you really can't quite call it every day for the past year plus has felt like those days between Christmas and New Year's where you have no concept of time. It's like what it could be a Monday and it could also be a Friday and everything in between is like, what the hell? That's kind of where I am. We'll get there. Thank you guys either way for coming back and joining me. I genuinely mean thank you. I am in a bit of a creative rut right now and what is helping me get through is the knowledge that I do have an audience base. There are people who tune in and who give a shit what I have to say. And I want to express my gratitude for all of you instead of just worrying about getting more and more and more. Thank you for everyone who is here, who has been here. If you are new here, welcome, welcome, welcome. Please stand and be recognized like we are in a Baptist church. One of the most awkward experiences of anyone's life. Anywho, as per usual, we have to kick things off with a fashion tip. I sometimes want like to incorporate a bit of fashion history because if you do not know me, if you are new here, or if you just somehow missed this in the content that I produce, I am a lifelong student of fashion, of fashion history, of costume. It's the thing that I like to nerd out about. I am always so curious about why we wear what we wear, where it came from, why we buy the things that we buy. I genuinely, a lot of times, this is really no tea, no shade, even though it's going to sound very shady. When I look at people and their outfits sometimes, I'm like, wow, I really would have loved to have been in the room when you were selecting these pieces not to see you naked or anything obviously but because I'm always so fascinated by what makes people think that things look good and to other people it doesn't like what is that deciding factor from a mental standpoint of like what made you feel that this look was gonna pop and what made the rest of us feel that you look like you may be in the midst of an emotional crisis. That fascinates me. What's the deciding factor between, you know, what one person considers to be good, tasteful, on point, and what another person doesn't? Anyway, that's the kind of shit that fascinates me, the psychology of fashion. With that being said, this week's bit of fashion history slash fashion tip comes from the fact that the Met has announced the theme of the next gala, You know, every year I hope to somehow get an invitation to the Met Gala. I just want to be a fly on the wall. I just want to see what it's like. Sure, I would love to, you know, do some red carpet coverage and talk to the people who I find interesting. That would be lovely. Putting it out into the universe. Would love to do that, God, if you're listening. But I also really just love getting dressed up. And the Met Gala is nothing but a couture 
costume party. And that is just right up my alley. So the theme for the next Met Gala is American fashion, which America gets kind of a shit reputation when it comes to the arts and when it comes to style and creativity and things like that, because I think the rest of the world views us as being just very capital driven. I mean, capitalist society. And I think the pandemic has shown that more than anything and where business is so involved it's hard for people to take American fashion seriously from a creative aspect but anyway another conversation for another day I told y'all this is like my favorite topic so let me keep it cute and light I always when I think of American fashion you think of those like standard American designers and then you also start to think about um what defines America like the fact that there are black designers who you know have been active just as long as your Ralph Lauren's and your Tommy Hilfiger's however I always think about denim whenever I think about American fashion classic American fashion one of the things that I think about is denim we love a good pair of blue jeans and something told me like let's google like where that comes from because I was of course fantasizing about what I would wear to the Met you know because everything's about me. Um, and so in, you know, shit that I Google searched, which is a constant for me, you know, if your mind is racing, like, oh, where did this come from? Or why do we say one of the things I Googled? Where does denim come from? Denim did not even originate in America. Is that not the most American shit that you've ever heard of that I just automatically correlate denim with America? And twas not invented in America. Denim, the process for creating it, actually comes from a place called Denime, France. And that's where we get the name Denim. Of course, we would butcher it. (laughs) Americans don't give a shit about (laughs) how to pronounce things. Um, Any hoodle do. I was so I don't know, tickled by that, that we didn't even invent that. Like, what did we come up with? Anywho, well, black people came up with a lot of this country. Another conversation for another day. So that's actually where denim originated from, from France. And Levi Strauss came up with the the concept of making blue jeans, denims, overalls, that kind of vibe, the uniform for coal miners during the gold rush because they needed a uniform that was durable and that was sturdy. And that's what, you know, that very like hard, you know, kind of denim comes from. And it was really associated with like the working man, you know, like the working man wore denim and it was kind of like a a class, um, a class structure kind of thing. And so at some point, Hollywood decided, let's put Marlon Brando and James Dean in the, you know, the blue jeans and the leather jacket and the motorcycle. And it was this whole thing of like American heroism and rebellion. And all of a sudden, everybody started wearing blue jeans. It became less of an indication of where you are professionally and what you do between white collar and blue collar. And now, as we can clearly see, it's a huge industry. Everybody wears blue jeans, you know, um, in our country. I'm not going to say the world over. I haven't been everywhere in the world. That's another one of those things. Just because it happens in America don't mean it happened everywhere else watching myself on that but that's my little bit of fashion history that I found cool and exciting wanted to share it with you all so this episode I just want to do a little bit of a mental health check-in 
um, let you guys know how I'm doing, where I am with things um, and responding to some things that are happening in the world. I, again, concept of time, I have none. I don't remember the last time we talked or rather that I talked to you. I don't remember everything that has happened in between that time. So bear with me and stay tuned. All right, welcome back. Thank you for coming back, sticking around through that brief 30 seconds of music or however long I play that. So I have been thinking about a lot. <laughs> and that's putting it lightly. I continue to be fascinated and horrified by the notion of cisgender black male dating coaches who seem to actually have great disdain for women and particularly black women, but um, they do this under the guise of like helping the black community. I find the black incel community to actually be horrifying. I think that there are huge legitimate implications for the way that some of our men view us as um, reflections of them and that everything that we do needs to be um, an ego boost to them and that they are somehow entitled to whatever woman they want and are deeply uncomfortable with rejection and facilitate really unhealthy relationships and create vulnerable communities within our community. I think that the threat of black incels is one that we should really be keeping an eye out for. They freak me out, bro. Um, and even in seeing so many of the discussions that we see all the time on Twitter about these weird hypotheticals that people come up with in terms of dating, they just freak me out because I'm like, this is such a specific thing that you have come up with in your brain that you want feedback on. And, you know, I continue to feel there's a lid for every pot. You have to find your lid or your pot, but you can't make everyone else in the world also be your lid or your pot because everyone doesn't owe you that. And what type of Thanos ass person are you that you keep trying to create, like recreate the world in your, you know, from your vision or your oh, vision? <laughs> um, Shouts out to the Marvel fans. Like, why do you keep trying to make the world? exactly as you feel that it should be like who the hell are you that all women need to behave this certain way and all men need to behave this certain way no why don't you worry about how you behave and make sure that you aren't being harmful make sure that you're addressing your own trauma and look for a partner who is in alignment with the things that you value I just think that that's a much more productive use of time than trying to make people be your idea of who or what they should be. If that's not who or what that person is, then leave them be. That's just not your person. It's not your job to recreate them in your image. That's so weird to me. Um, what I've really been thinking about too, as I look at the discourse surrounding dating and relationships as someone who 
it's finally in a place where I want to open myself up again to having a romantic relationship or a couple. We'll see what happens this summer. Um, I notice how much we shame women for the actions of men. Um, there are a lot of celebrity men out here who have been married or engaged or broken up with just as much as there have been celebrity women who have you know, been married or engaged or partnered or whatever a few times over, but we always look at the woman and it's always this assumption that something must be wrong with her. Um, it's always, or even as an example, if you, you know, do a deep dive on like shade room antics, whenever there's a mention of Jada, who is little baby's baby mama slash girlfriend, depending on what day of the week it is, people always have an asterisk with her or there's always this the shame that is projected onto her because he got you out here looking excuse me out here looking stupid he you know cheats on her all the time and whatever whatever there really isn't shame put on him for being someone who seems to be emotionally um manipulative or you know, I'm not in the relationship. I don't know. I can only, you know, go off of what we see. But why isn't there ever as much shame or judgment for guys who lure, you know, women into a false sense of security in these relationships and then kind of pull the rug out from under them? And I do understand, obviously, I am a human adult person. I know that we all tend to ignore red flags sometimes when we just, you know, want that person. And again, we all have to do a better job of knowing and identifying when a person just isn't our person or when it's not a good fit. But I really hate the way we talk about and judge. And it's almost like you use it as a trump card that, oh, this girl is like doing her thing, whatever, whatever, but she can't keep a man, quote unquote. I I don't even like that phrasing. Keep a man, what, uh, you know, people who don't want to be kept don't be kept. So what, what what are we talking about here? Or the trump card is, yeah, but he got high, he looking stupid. Or he's, all, you know, she always, I just think that on the one hand, yes, we all have to learn emotional responsibility. We all have to learn how to be, um, how to sustain ourselves and other people are not responsible for our happiness or our joy, but other people shouldn't be directly taking from it either. And I do think I have more of a community mindset when it comes to wellness. I think that we really lean into the individualism of what it means to be American and like, you know, this independence and freedom, but at the same time, humans need each other. If the pandemic has shown us nothing, it's that humans need each other in order to thrive, not just be in survival mode, but to thrive. And we do owe it to each other to be good stewards of our resources and to be good global citizens. And one of the things that I have noticed as well, when we talk about and, you know, heteronormatively, I can only speak to what I know. Um, so I recognize that I'm speaking in very heteronormative terms. But even when we talk about men being good men, it still has not evolved to a definition beyond providing. If you 
provide for your child and you're not with that child's mother, that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not going to award a fish for swimming. What I also noticed, though, even in you know some of my own circles, how great of a father are you if you create emotional abuse and and um and trauma for the mother of your child? Not saying you know you have to stay with her for the kid. I don't believe in that. I don't think that that helps anyone. You know, staying where you're not happy. But if you aren't actively respectful of the mother of your child then you're not being a good father to your child. Um, I know that there's nuance involved there and I, you know, and that can go both ways, you know, for, for mothers, you're, you can't effectively parent your kid if you are creating unnecessary strife with, between you and the father. Um, but anyway, said all that to say, we all have to evolve emotionally in order to be better to each other and I just really want us to stop with the harsh judgment that we you know um we approach women with such a level of conviction when it comes to dating and relationships that we put the onus on women all the time to make things work and to to be the certain way and if this man isn't this way then it's you know like men act the way that they want to for the right woman whatever whatever there's just not enough accountability all the way across the board for me at some point you have to be held accountable and responsible for yourself and for how you treat other people we all have some shit we all have some trauma we all have a reason we all have a story that we tell ourselves about why we are, who we are, and the way that we behave. But at some point, you have got to take ownership for who you are, why you are the way that you are, and do a better job of making sure that you are not harmful to other people, even though society tells you that it's okay to be. I'm telling you that it's not. Just don't be an asshole. That's my whole thing. We owe each other the ability to thrive in this world without creating emotional strife for each other and individually we have to learn how to be accountable emotionally mature emotionally responsible and you know where that all comes from therapy so that has been um something that i've been thinking on and talking with my friends about a lot is like why is it so easy And why are we so quick to like call women stupid? We even call ourselves stupid for the ways that we behaved in relationships when we didn't know any better. And I have really, really caught myself doing that a lot where I have felt so ashamed of the way that I've let guys um, treat me in the past, you know, based on where I was and, you know, what I was feeling and um, about my own self-worth. And I just remember some of my friends not being great at supporting me through that. It was just this judgment of, you know, you, 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 and you're letting him do and whatever, whatever. But there was never a question of, well, what happened? And how did we get here? And like, what do you need to feel better about yourself so that you don't keep going down this road? I just would like for us to approach people who are experiencing heartbreak or you know are having a hard time in romantic relationships I wish we would just approach each other with more of a spirit of curiosity over conviction because things don't happen in a vacuum there is a reason and 
I just, you know, it's just triggering for me to see the way we, you know, talk about heartbroken women where you have so much judgment for the person who was brave and just, you know, tried to love a person who just was not prepared or able or willing or whatever to love them back in the way that they desired. That person was brave enough to step into the arena, but you shame them when the other person wasn't able or willing or whatever the explanation is to meet them in the middle or to, you know, I just hate that the blame always goes on us and we're just kind of expected to be these superhuman, to have superhuman emotional responses to, oh, well, that, you know, such is life. No, think, like sometimes people can really wound you and it doesn't help for the people closest to you or even people on social media or whatever to make you feel bad because you tried to love somebody who couldn't love you back. Like what type of shit is that? I think that we kind of punish people for seeking love and then you make it seem like they're needy well people are only as needy as their unmet needs so let's look at things from a broader perspective and just kind of not shift the blame but zoom out enough to look at the big picture of like what's happening you know with me personally I had a lot of issues with seeking out unintentionally and, you know, unbeknownst to me until recently, seeking out the same person over and over again. And I really had to do, and I'm still actively doing work in therapy to figure out why do I keep choosing these people? You know, um, in the episode that I did with Franny, we talked a lot about like how we co-create um, unhealthy relationships. And there is something to that. So again, I feel like I'm rambling to wrap it up, you know, be emotionally accountable, responsible, mature for yourself, and just don't be an asshole to other people, like for fuck's sake. And I know that that's easier said than done, but therapy for all. And I really wish that therapy were more readily available to more people. I understand that even saying like go to therapy is kind of a privileged thing to say. I know how fortunate I am to have a mental health professional like on deck in my life. But there are people who also could have that same thing who don't. And I just wish that they would. The other thing that I have been thinking about a lot is as I'm hoping we're coming to the end of the pandemic, that there is, um, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. I have been fully vaccinated. My immediately my immediate family has been vaccinated. I'm very grateful that I haven't had to, um, you know, have hard conversations with anybody about why it's important, you know really, really grateful for that. Um, I wanted to be very excited about the possibility of life resuming, but in a new and better way. I don't want us to go back to the old days. I don't want to, you know, make it like it was, oh, now I want to listen to that pretty Ricky song. Ooh, child, that's going to be my little, um, add it to my walking playlist. Anyway, I really wanted to just be excited about the prospect of life becoming again. I don't, I don't even know how to say it because I just I hate the notion of, you know, go back to this or whatever, whatever. We have to always be moving forward. And I think if we move forward, then hopefully we're moving towards progress. So, but I didn't feel that way. I had this anxiety, this fear, this apprehension, this unsettled feeling in my spirit about 
what life is about to be and like where we go from here. And it's made me feel very blocked creatively. I haven't been able to write. I've been struggling to record things because it kind of feels like people aren't responding or engaging with my content in the way that I would like for them to. And like I said at the top of the podcast, I'm really doing my best to be grateful for who is here and not who isn't. Um, I, I just want more things in my life to be with ease. I don't want to have to like fight and connive and, you know, have a gimmick or whatever to get people on board with what I do, because that's kind of the antithesis of what I want to do with my platform, which is to help people to be and to feel well and to also be really stylish while doing it. Because again, lifelong student of fashion and style. Um, And it has been hard for me lately to create with the level of enthusiasm that I would like to because it sometimes just feels like I'm screaming into the void and like no one really gives a shit what I'm doing or knows what I'm doing. And that insecurity was really um, triggered recently when I had a conversation with someone from a television network about the possibility of working with them in a more official capacity and their feedback made me realize I am not great at taking constructive criticism, (laughs) Um, something I definitely have to work on. But um, it really shook me and just made me feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And because of that, I have felt really creatively stagnant or blocked or just, you know, in order to create something, you have to have a level of confidence that says, I know what I'm talking about. And that has um, been shaken for me recently. I, I'm not feeling the most confident in um, in my content and what I create and what I write and what I record. So that's why you guys didn't hear from me on the last scheduled date. That's why this episode is late because I am just in a place where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And what I came across is that there is something called languishing. And the good people over at the New York Times came up, uh, well, wrote an article about languishing, um, which they're saying is kind of, it's this dominant buzzword kind of for describing this phase of the pandemic. And it's not exactly depressed. It's not exactly anxious. I'm going to read the quote right now, which is uh, from Adam Grant, a professor of management and psychology at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So he wrote in the New York Times that languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking out your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. Now, as soon as I read looking at your life through a foggy windshield, I automatically was like, open up a dirty window. Anyway, And my mind just trailed off. But when I read that, I was like, oh, that's what this is. That's what this feeling is of just stagnation. And I I don't, you know, this is the only way that I can explain what I have been feeling lately. Um, Further, um, in another article, they said that it can be this feeling of, they give an example of like, maybe you get really, really dressed up to go to a new restaurant that you've been excited about. And then 
you decide to just put on sweatpants and go to the restaurant that you know and love instead, where you're still getting up and going out, you're still doing a thing, but you're not exactly doing a new thing or an exciting thing or the thing that you thought that you wanted to do. You're doing something, but it's in a very stagnant kind of place. That's where I have been lately, and I know a lot of my friends who... um have been taking the pandemic seriously and have not been irresponsible or self-centered or, you know, the myriad of judgmental terms that I have for people who have not practiced social distancing. Um, that this, this is a very pervasive feeling for a lot of us. And it sometimes feels like we're, me and like the handful of people who I know are still, you know, kind of taking things seriously. feels like we're the only people in the world who are. And I'm hoping that some of you in my audience have still been taking things seriously and can relate to this feeling. I know that sometimes it makes me feel better about feeling something when I can put a name to it. So I hope that just having that name that of, of languishing, that kind of in-betweenness uh, can help some of you just to be able to put a name to it. Um, of course, the usual recommendations to overcome that or, you know, find a creative outlet, journal, make sure that you're eating well, make sure that you're getting movement, make sure that you're reaching out to family and or friends, you know, the usual things. But there are some days where you just don't even feel like doing that. And I just want you to know that I understand. Um, I too, um, a part of mindful self-compassion is acknowledging that you feel a way and also knowing that you are not the only person in the world who is or or who has ever felt that way just recognizing that collectively being a human is just sometimes hard and I think a huge part of why I struggled so much with depression so early on in my life is because I thought I was the only person who felt that way because a lot of people around me were just kind of muddling through um, and no one was really sitting in or acknowledging um, what they actually felt at a core level. So for me, on the days where I have just not felt like doing a damn thing, um, I have said to myself today, I don't feel like doing anything today. I don't feel like my best self. And just allowing myself to acknowledge that feeling, journaling about it. Sometimes, you know, reaching out to a trusted friend who has the capacity to hold space for me in that moment and saying, hey, this is how I feel right now. Just having that support, obviously having the support of my therapist, that's what helps me to to move forward. But you have to acknowledge that you have that feeling. So um, just putting languishing in your lexicon might help you to do that on that first step to just getting back to yourself or coming to yourself. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys this week. Um, I'm really doing my best to, uh, today I prayed and, um, affirmed having a renewed spirit, a renewed sense of energy and enthusiasm and motivation about my platform and about my work in media and writing and commentary and um, just for a renewed sense of purpose and yeah, enthusiasm and, and confidence, just a renewing of my spirit all around when it comes to my professional goals and ambitions. And I'm doing my best to make sure that I'm putting out content that is entertaining and helpful and um, empowering. That's what I want to do 
for everyone with with an earshot of my voice or who comes across my words. I just want people to walk away feeling seen and in that way feeling a little bit better. And um, yeah, I just, that's what I'm, I'm focused on, on getting back to or coming to that place in a new way. So bear with me. Um, not walking away from my podcast. I just want to find a way to still feel really good about doing it, whether two people listen or 2,000 people listen. And to those of you who do listen, I so appreciate you. Thank you for um, making me uh, also feel seen and heard and um, understood. So I hope you are taking care of yourselves. And um, I hope that this was helpful to you. So be sure to like and share and comment and subscribe. And if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to rate and review. That is the best, freest way to help me to continue to create this content and hopefully at some point monetize it (laughs) because mama likes her coin. And speaking of, you are always welcome to become a patron of mine on my Patreon. Um, That link is in the episode description. I'm also putting a link to that article about languishing if you want to read a little bit more and find some additional tips for how to cope with it. So I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you. And until we speak again, boo. Bye.